My name's Dave. If you're new here, it's good to see you. Uh, we're in a series right now called Think Again. And in this series, Jesus is challenging us to reconsider what it looks like to follow his lead, specifically in some specific areas of our lives. What it looks like to follow his lead um, with our sexuality. What it looks like to follow his lead into conflict and confrontation. What it looks like to follow his lead. Last week we talked about with our money. What it looks like to follow his lead as we face the lure of materialism. What it looks like to specifically lead our hearts through our resources towards having a heart for Christ and his kingdom. And if you remember last week at the end of the sermon, um, I offered a challenge that you would just do one thing. That you would take one step financially to lead your heart towards the heart of Christ, towards a heart for the kingdom of God in this world, that you would just make one move, one shift. Um, and I, there's all sorts of things you could have done, and I'm hoping that you made a shift, but I do want to just follow up and say, did you make that step? Did you take that action? Because here's what the scriptures say, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Jesus says it is essential that we take his teaching and put it into practice so that it can have impact and effect not only in our lives and in us, but also in this world. And so um, last week as we talked about money and resources, did you take that step? If not, the good news is there's a board in the lobby with some stuff you could like redeem the whole last, all last week's failure when you completely failed. It could be redeemed today. This is a place of redemption. So um, I say that to you, not to guilt you or shame you into it, but just to encourage you to not miss that chance. Truly, truly. And then last week, another thing I said uh, was that this week we would be talking about worry. And some of you have been stressed about that all week. Um, but... We're actually not going to talk about worry this week. I made a little shift, and we're going to talk about worry next week. This week, we're going to talk about procrastination. No. <laughs> this week, we're going to talk about something else. But we are going to shift worry to next week. So for those of you who have been worried about it, come next week. Worry will be addressed. Today, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I think one of the most practical teachings uh, um, of Jesus out there, just something that's so relevant to you and me. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus in these verses is going to teach us, he's going to give us some instruction on how we should and shouldn't offer challenge and correction and advice to others. Not that any of us have ever struggled with that. Um, and Jesus will say, you know, when you notice something about your friend, when your spouse has a habit that really, really, really bugs you, this is not the time to look their way. Um, <laughs> when your kids need guidance or direction, when your boss or coworker or employee seems to be on the wrong path, Jesus says, let's think again about how to be truth tellers in this world, about how to offer truth to people in our lives in a way that honors Christ and follows his lead. Jesus will dive in with us, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Here's what he says. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, 
The Greek word judge here, the word Jesus uses, do not judge, or you too will be judged. It's the Greek word krino, and krino has a lot of different meanings, but here in this passage, it's a word that means condescending criticism. It's where we get our English word critic or critical, and that's exactly what Jesus is driving at as he begins this teaching. He's saying, Never have an opinion. He's not saying never have an opinion about right or wrong. He's not saying it's, it's unfair to judge. He's saying never have an opinion. He's not saying have no moral direction. He's not advocating a new sort of, sort of moral relativistic sort of perspective that says, you know, no one can say things are right, things are wrong. I'm okay, you're okay. He's not saying we cannot tell the honest truth to one another. He's telling us that God does not want us to see the faults of others and look on them with a condescending, critical, criticizing, judgmental heart. And then he offers an image to kind of frame this conversation. It's this image of of measuring. And in Jesus' day, one of the most common ways people got ripped off was through faulty measurements. Faulty measurements were were sort of like the credit card fraud of the first century. It's like the way that everybody at some point experienced being robbed. In other words, vendors, they would come and they would rig their scales and they would measure in such a way that you would get less than what you paid for. You would go to the market and you would buy a pound of wheat and they would measure that wheat at a pound and you'd pay for a pound, but the scales had been rigged so that you were actually only getting nine tenths of a pound and you didn't even know it. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when you go to Salt and Straw and you order a double scoop for $12.79, he's asking, do you want tiny little scoops? Do you want a double? Or do you want a double? Do you want the scooper who is stingy? Or do you want the scooper with the big, strong forearms who is generous and just piles the ice cream on? Which do you want? Some of you are like, I I think I'm supposed to choose the healthy choice. No, (laughs) not what do you need? What do you want? You want the big scoops. You don't want to get slighted. Just the other day, I was out with my wife and... Um, we ordered, and part of the order for me was French fries. I, I know, confession, not a good choice. Should have picked the salad. And my wife's plate comes, and she had like her meal and fries. And then my plate came, and it had my meal, which was a Reuben sandwich, and then like a teeny little portion of fries. And I was looking at the fries on my plate, and I was looking at the fries on my wife's plate, and I actually said to the server, hey, 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 I'm going to need some more fries. Like, <laughs> Don't slight me on my fries, right? If I'm making a bad choice, I'm going all in on it, right? And Jesus is sort of highlighting this, this tendency in in his world for people to be stingy and to slight others. And he says, hey, take a look at this unfair, unjust, greedy, selfish, stingy marketplace practice. And here's the point. Imagine you're the person on the other side of the scales, Imagine you're the one not scooping, but being scooped for. Imagine you're the one whose life, whose mistake, whose wrong is being evaluated. And check your heart. Because when the tables are turned, when it's 
our sin, when it's our shortcomings, our faults, our failures and mess-ups that are being pointed out by someone else, we want a person who will approach us generously, who will be generous with not just their ice cream or french fries, but with their mercy and their grace and their understanding and their love and compassion. We want someone who will listen to our side of the story and try to see things from our perspective. And furthermore, Jesus says this is just a practical way to live because what goes around comes around. A critical spirit, he says, is contagious. Stinginess towards the faults of others is contagious. If you are a negative and naggy person, you will till the soil for people to be the same way with you. But, but, if you cultivate a generous, gentle, benefit-of-the-doubt culture in your relationships, you will also find those same attitudes coming back your way. Do not judge. Do not be critical, or you too will be critically judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, with the, the way you scoop, <laughs> it will be scooped onto you. <laughs> Friends, what do your scoops of confrontation look like when someone in your life has messed up? When they've blown it, when they've hurt you, when something is not right? Are you crino? Are you critical? Is there a superior condescending smugness to you? Or do you offer challenge with a gracious, generous spirit? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now this plank that Jesus refers to here was actually the main wooden beam that ran across the center of the ceiling and supported the entire roof of most people's homes this giant, enormous beam. And so you can imagine um, that Jesus is painting a picture here that's a bit hyperbolic. He's, he's using an image that is on some level kind of funny and completely unreasonable. He's, he's, what he's saying is, and this was a far cry from maybe the thing he's saying, this is like someone saying, I think you've got a tiny sliver in your eye. I think there's something in your eye. How can you even see? Let me help you get it, right? He's painting a picture of someone who's got this enormous, giant plank of wood in their eye, and yet they're pointing out an itsy-bitsy tiny speck in the eye of someone else. And Jesus here gives us an illustration to show us who not to be. Jesus is essentially saying, don't be that guy. He's saying, let me tell you how to avoid being judgmental. Let me help you not to be stingy or condescending. Let me give you a tip on how to guard your heart from becoming critical towards others. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, be extremely self-aware. Be extremely self-aware. Aware. 
Know yourself really, really well. Sometimes in Christian circles, we don't talk about this that much. We, we, kind of, we don't want to think about ourselves. We're not focused on ourselves. We just think about Jesus. I want to be God aware. I want to be Jesus aware. And there's so many Christ followers who I meet who are completely unself-aware. And I think Jesus here and other places as well, but here says, you must be self-aware. Know who you are. Know who God has made you to be. Know your struggles. Know your deficiencies be in touch with your feelings. Be extremely self-aware, especially when you go to offer truth or correction or advice to someone else. When you're calling out a hurt or a wrong in someone's life, be really clued in to what is happening in you. You see, the problem with the person in this illustration right here, this plank eye person, is they have no self-awareness. They're obnoxiously unaware of their own situation, their own stuff, their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own issues, and so they go into the situation blind. You see, sometimes we read these verses and think Jesus is saying, if you have sin in your life, then you shouldn't point out the sin in other people's lives. Or even worse, if the sin in your life is really big, then you especially shouldn't point out sin in other people's lives. But I do not think that is what Jesus is trying to say here. Not his point. Jesus is saying, don't be ignorant about what's happening with you. Don't start correcting or confronting or messing with other people's faults before you get really clear about what's going on inside of you. And to do that, he, he gives us a wonderfully simple question we can all ask ourselves. Jesus says, here's how, here's step one in helping you guard against judgmental, critical, condemning, a condemning spirit creeping into your soul. He says, ask yourself a very powerful question. It's the first word. It's a one-word question. It's the first word of verse 3. Say it with me. Why? Why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Why? Why does the sin in her life cause you so much concern? Why has it caught your attention? Why does it bother you so much? Why does it irritate you? Why does it hurt you? Why does that particular habit rub you the wrong way? Why do you feel the need to correct it, to challenge it, to point it out? Friends, before you start to address the stuff in others, stop and ask yourself, what's going on in me? How am I feeling? What is this triggering? What is driving my response in this moment? Because maybe what you'll find is there's a plank in you. There's a plank in you that you hadn't thought of. Maybe it's anger. Maybe going on in you is shame or insecurity. Maybe there's pride or envy or jealousy or fear. Maybe you feel threatened or challenged or embarrassed or humiliated. Maybe you're just feeling overwhelmed in life. And Jesus says, before you go after that other person, stop and consider what is going on in me. Before you 
move in with a comment or a conversation or an email or a text or a tweet or a post. Stop and get a handle on what is driving you and what is motivating you. Get to know yourself. Be very tuned in to what you are thinking or feeling. Let me give you an example. Let me just give you an example. Be really practical. This, this truth can apply to the way you relate to your friends, your coworkers. It can definitely apply to the way you relate to your spouse. Let me tell you a place that really often applies. The way we relate to our kids. Here's an example. It's, it's softball, baseball season in our family. That's what I've been doing for like the last three months solid. And so these examples are fresh on my mind. And so here's, here's one. Let's just say your kid is playing baseball or softball and they go up to bat and they strike out. And they strike out looking like they don't swing and the ump calls a strike. And furthermore, that last pitch, it was not a strike at all. It was a bad call. The ump made a bad call. And so your kid comes storming back to the dugout and starts to throw a fit. Not that this would ever happen with your kid. A full-on tantrum, and they throw their helmet, and they toss their bat, and they knock another kid's glove off the bench into the dirt, and all this is happening right in front of you as you sit on the, bleacher with all, on the bleachers with all the other parents of the kids around you, watching your kid do this, and then looking at you. <laughs> and they're just crying, and they're screaming, it's not fair, it wasn't a strike, that up is stupid! Not that this has ever happened. Now, as a parent, you see a speck in your child's eye. In this moment, you see it, and hopefully you will be moved to help remove it. I hope you will. That's a whole other sermon. But before you do, before you get up and walk over or storm over or lightly jog over, before you respond to your child in this moment, you might want to pause and ask yourself this question. Why? What's going on in me? What is driving this urge I'm feeling to move towards speck removal? Because maybe, maybe, it's that you truly want your child to learn to handle failure better. It's a good thing. Maybe it's that you want to teach your child about using kind words in difficult moments. Maybe there is a lesson here for your child to learn about controlling his or her emotions. Maybe you truly want them to grow as a person. Or maybe that's not really what's driving you at all. Maybe there's a plank in your eye, a plank in your heart. And the truth is, you are moved to remove that speck because your child has made you look bad in front of all the other parents. Maybe what's driving you in this moment is embarrassment. Maybe your identity as a mother or father has been threatened and now you move in to remove that speck with a big old plank of wounded pride in your eye. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your child's eye, your boss's eye, your husband's eye, your wife's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Pay no attention to what is happening in you. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye? How can you actually really help someone with their struggle, with their sin, with their difficulty, with their wrong, until your motivations are correct? You see, Jesus isn't saying only sin-free people can help people. 
If that were the case, then none of us could ever help anyone. Jesus isn't saying, only, you can only help people as long as the sin in your life isn't really, really big. It's not what he's saying. It's not what he's after. He's saying, be a self-aware person. Self-aware people help people. Be really aware of your own self. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Then you can actually do some good. Then you can actually be of help in their life when you've sorted through your own motives and motivations. It's also important to note here that Jesus isn't calling us to ignore hurtful or harmful things. He's not saying avoid confronting people. He's not saying don't go talk to your kid in that moment. Go talk to your kid, right? It's not that we're supposed to be less honest. Jesus is not saying avoid hard conversations, sweep your concerns under the rug and just swallow them. On the contrary, his his very clear instruction is this, remove the speck from your brother's eye. At the end of this thing, he says, do it. You've got, to make the, you've got to be part of the removal process because Jesus knows that these kinds of difficult conversations are extremely important. He knows that if we are going to become the kind of people, the kind of community that God longs for us to be, these are the kind of conversations that we must learn to have with each other. If we're going to raise our kids up to follow Christ, then we're going to have to have some of these conversations. He just says, have them the right way. He doesn't say, hold back from doing it. He says, do it, but do it with a lot of self-awareness. Do it with a lot of self-awareness. Then finally, Jesus tacks on this little gem at the end. Matthew 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this seems a little obscure all of a sudden, right? Like this statement at the end, it's even in quotes as if to say like, weird quote at the end of teaching. Everything else seemed to fit together and all of a sudden we've shifted subjects to dogs and hogs and pearls. What is Jesus up to here? It's actually genius stuff. First of all, pearls. Pearls in Jesus' day were one of the most valuable things a person could own. They were imported from... The Persian Sea and the Indian Ocean, they were considered to be priceless jewels. And so what Jesus says here is, you have something of great value to offer. What he's saying is, what you have is a good thing. It is a worthy thing. It is a very valuable thing. This challenge, this truth, this correction, this piece of advice that you have, this wisdom you have to offer, it is a gem. You've heard the phrase, a pearl of wisdom, haven't you? A pearl of wisdom. It comes right from this passage. That's what you've got. You've got a pearl of wisdom, Jesus says. The problem is that a pearl is not a very helpful thing to give to a pig. Most pigs don't wear pearls. I've only seen a few, and I'm pretty sure they were cartoons. And so to give a pearl to a pig is not only a big waste of your time and resources, but it's also not helpful to the pig at all. The pig can't digest it, can't use it, doesn't know what to do with it. So in Jesus' first picture, he says, don't be a person who lacks self-awareness, right? And now in this picture, he says, 
Don't be a person who lacks others' awareness. Don't lose sight of who you're dealing with, who you're talking to. You have to know who you're talking to. When there is a truth to be shared, he says, when there is a correction or advice to be offered, when you're calling out a hurt or a wrong, be in tune to what's happening in you and, and be also in tune to what is happening in them. Sometimes the pearl that you know you have that is so wonderful, that is that you want so badly to give them, that will help them so, so, so very much, it will not be wanted and so it will not be helpful. And in that case, Jesus is saying, you should not waste it, you should not try and force it on somebody. One author I read this week said it this way, Jesus is forbidding the practice of what we might call pearl pushing. This is when you're trying to push your pearls, your wisdom, your will, your way, your truth, your superior knowledge onto another person even when they don't want it, even when it's not helpful. Mass confession, any pearl pushers in the room? <laughs> My wife calls it tips. It's one of the reasons she won't go skiing with me because she says I give too many tips, too many pearls, too much pearl pushing on how to keep your feet together and move your skis, and she just can't handle it. She want my pearls. She don't like my pearls. She won't even go skiing. She's staying as far away from my pearls as she possibly can. This is when you try and push your pearls, your wisdom, your will, your way, your truth, your superior knowledge onto another person, even when they don't want it, even when it's not helpful. And a big part of this, friends, I'll just say, is timing. It's knowing when to say something and when not to say something. My daughter played high school softball this year. The coach made a rule, not for the girls, for the parents. No offering advice until 24 hours after the game. No offering correction or challenge or tips until 24 hours after the game. I completely ignored that rule all year and now I'm feeling very convicted. Um, why? It's really hard. When you've got a pearl and it can help that person so much and it's so valuable, it could really impact them or change them or improve their hitting average. You know, like, how could you not offer it? <laughs> this is from the book of Proverbs. This is just wisdom for life, right? I love the Bible. <laughs> like, if you don't love the Bible, you haven't read the Bible. If you don't love the Bible, you haven't understood the Bible. Listen to what the Bible says. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. <laughs> That's in the Bible, friends. Like, it's like, is blessing your neighbor a good thing? Yeah, that's a pearl. That's awesome. And when you offer it too early, the neighbor's like, shut up. The pig wants to sleep. <laughs> right? I mean, it's so good. Oh, so good. And, and, and in this, let's go down one more layer, though, because in this teaching, Jesus even gets a little more personal, a little more specific, I think, for many of us in the room. Dogs and hogs uh, were not beloved, sort of lovely, welcomed animals in the Jewish culture. They were kind of scavengers. They were mangy. They were unloved and unwanted. This is not a Lassie Wilbur kind of culture. Um, they were despised creatures, really, by the Jews. And because of this, dogs and hogs became a way of referring to non-Jews, 
people outside the family of faith. You'll hear Jesus and his disciples use this kind of language in other places, right? To refer to people who were not part of the family of faith. And so another layer of what Jesus is saying here is this. He's talking to those of us who are in the family, especially as we interact with those who are not in the family. He's talking to Christ followers, Christians who are talking to non-Christians. And he's saying, Christians, be real careful when trying to correct the morals and values of those who are not followers of mine. He's saying, they do not and will not see the world the way you see the world. They do not value what you value. And so the more you push your pearls on them, the more frustrated they get. Jesus says, you use tremendous wisdom and discernment. He says, be very self-aware and extremely others-aware when talking to people about kingdom values, about right and wrong from your perspective. Now, again, I'll be very clear here. He does not say, do not do this. He does not say, keep your mouth shut about kingdom values and morals and right and wrong. He doesn't say that. He just says, do this carefully. In fact, he says, you must figure out how to share these pearls with the world. That's our calling, right? But he says, do it carefully. Do it sensitively. Do it graciously. Do it from a place of being very self-aware and extremely others aware. You see, Jesus is so very nuanced. And I'll say this as we close. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, will power us to do this. The gospel will move you forward, no matter who you are in this room today. The gospel will challenge you to live this life, to be this person that Jesus describes here, no matter who you are. I'll say it this way. By nature, there's probably a spectrum here, right? And by nature... Some in this room are more of a fixer and others more of a feeler. On one end of the spectrum, you've got fixers. On the other end, you have feelers. Feelers are people who shy away from sharing truth. They just feel you. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you, dog. Right? Yeah. And they're not inclined to necessarily share the truth. Fixers are people who are anxious to share the truth, their opinion, their thoughts. In fact, they can hardly let you get through your statement before they have some thoughts and advice and some tips for you. Some of us in this room can relate to that. Friends, either way the gospel will challenge you. To the feeler, the gospel says, you must be bold because God loves you so much that he died for you. How can you hold back from finding a way, any way, to share this amazing good news of God's great love with people? How can you not offer this life-giving truth to those you love? The gospel is so great, it compels you to get out of your comfort zone and to be a bit more bold. That's what the gospel says to the feeler. And to the fixer, the gospel says, slow down. You must be humble because you are such a mess that the God of the universe had to die for you. Don't 
even think of approaching people with an air of arrogance or superiority because you are so cotton-picking messed up that God had to send his one and only son to die on the cross for your sin. You see, the gospel offers us confidence and humility all at the same time. And so in these difficult situations of offering truth, of challenging people, and specifically of offering the good news of Jesus Christ, of offering kingdom of values and morals and virtues to this world, and think about how sensitive that is, the gospel will both give you confidence and humility. And so today, here's the question I'll leave you with. Which of those do you need right now? As we come to the table to remember and declare the death and resurrection of Jesus, as we come to the table to do this physical act of sort of declaring the good news, the great news that we are sinners saved by grace, that God has redeemed us and restored us through the death and resurrection of his son, as we come to the tables around this room to through this meal make that statement again to ourselves and to each other, which way does the gospel need to nudge you this morning? Does God need to remind you through this meal to have boldness? Does he need to push you into a hard conversation where you need to be a bit more assertive, creative about sharing truth? Maybe just some truth, maybe the truth with someone who, who really needs to hear it? Or does he wanna offer you humility? Does he wanna remind you to take a humble posture and to be patient and to listen and to be understanding in a relationship where maybe you've been a bit too pushy. You see, God wants to move us from critical to confident humility. He does that through the gospel. Is there a conversation you need to have today with someone? Is that conversation, hey, I've been kind of dodging this, this truth that I'd like to share with you and I want to do it in a really gracious way but I can't just set it aside any longer. Is that a conversation you need to start preparing for and praying for? Or, or does the conversation go more like this? You know, I've been doing a lot of talking and advice giving. I've been sharing a lot of tips. And I feel like the Lord's just asking me just to listen, to understand, and to try and put myself in your shoes. Is God nudging you one of those ways in a relationship this morning? If so, come to the table. Remember the grace that's been offered you, remember the power that's been given you. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It'll change everything in your world. It'll change everything in your life. It'll change every relationship that you're in if you'll let it. The tables will be open just a minute. I'm gonna pray, the worship team's gonna come, and when you're ready, you come, come down, receive the elements, take them back to your seat, and then take them on your own. Make that declaration. Ask God if there are any next steps you need to make this week with any people in your life. Father, thank you for just what a relevant, creative, challenging God you are. I just thank you, Lord, that as I plumb the depths of your word, it continues to just get deeper. They're just layers upon layers 
There's challenge upon challenge. There's encouragement upon encouragement for my soul. I pray that this teaching, Lord, would help us to be more impactful and effective and authentic salt and light in this world in the lives of people who need to see you in us. So have your way with us, Lord. Have your way. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.